Hey everybody, welcome to our show, Community Spread, a show about advancing progressive ideas in a conservative neighborhood. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell, and I thought I would start every episode about something that I've been thinking about or something that I've been learning. So, but before we do that, uh, I'm going to tell you what's coming up. Uh, coming up is going to be a conversation that I had with a guy by the name of Michael Daniels. And Michael just happened to call me out of the blue after um, we had an experience where I, I'm the owner of what used to be Roy CrossFit. And when the founder and CEO of CrossFit HQ made uh, some racist remarks, many people decided to de-affiliate with CrossFit. And we were one of those gyms. And the Standard Examiner and uh, KUTV4 News ran a little story about us. And after the news story ran, Michael Daniels called uh, the office. And he just called to say, hey, um, I'm a 63-year-old black man, and I've been fighting for these things my whole entire life. And I just wanted people to be on the conversation, be able to hear uh, the conversation I had with him because I thought it was so uh, poignant and I learned a lot from it. So we did it again. I called him up and we did a Zoom conversation. And so that's what you guys are going to get to hear. But for what I've been thinking about lately and is, you know, we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And I've been thinking so much about how, you know, it's personal experiences that really bring to light tragedy that's happening. And it's really hard to change people's mind or get them to understand what's going on unless we, they have a personal experience with it. So, you know, here we are, we're trying to social distance. We're trying to, um, live by these guidelines, wear masks, do all the things. And there's people fighting against it. Meanwhile, there, as of this recording, uh, there's a hundred, almost 140,000 people who have died in the United States over the last six months. That's a staggering number. And yet we still have people refusing to wear masks, refusing to social distance. And uh, it's a big, big problem. But the reason is, I, I find it fascinating. It's really difficult because every single interaction we come in contact with seems so harmless and most likely is, right? When If we have a single conversation, we sit down with someone unmasked and we're, we're uh, sitting across from each other, we have a 15-minute conversation, the, the chances of that uh, being a spreading uh, type of scenario is pretty slim. But in the midst of a global pandemic, we have to take care of one another. And we have to uh, actually take that single interaction that feels harmless and treat it as if the other person is infected with coronavirus because we don't know that they aren't. You don't have to have symptoms to spread this. You don't know if you're sick. So in that same way where, you know, it's hard to know and hard to feel the effects of coronavirus because they're not around us every single day. We may not have it right on our doorstep, but it's there and it's ravaging people. In that same way, racism is real. If you live in a predominantly white society, a white community like I do, uh, you may not see it every day. But it's real. It's out there. It's happening. And this conversation with my friend uh, Daniel will bring to light some of those scenarios. So 
Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and uh, we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm here with my friend, Michael Daniels. Um, you know, we've only met uh, for about total of five minutes now um, because Michael's just happened to call uh, what is now Roy Community Fitness and uh, the night after our little um, interview aired on ABC. Um, and when, when we were on the call, when he was, when I was on a call with him, uh, he was sharing with me some stories. And I just had this feeling that I wanted other people to hear the stories and the experience that I was having in that exact moment. Um, so why not? We can do it right here, right now. So Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us where you're from, what you're doing and, um, and who you are. Well, my name is Mike Daniels, and I am originally from Utah. I'm the first child in my family uh, who was born here in Utah because my parents originally from Alabama, a small town in Alabama. What brought us here was my dad got a job with the Union Pacific Railroad working on the car serving people. So as a result of that, he moved out here because his brother had moved out before him, and therefore he brought his family out here. I have been in Utah the majority of my life. I lived a short period of time in California back in the high school years, um, but I've been here most of my life. And so um, there's been a lot of different experiences, obviously some very good experiences and some a little bit more challenging. But um, what I want to do today, hopefully, is to give people some information about my particular experience because one thing i want you to understand is i don't speak for all black people but i speak for some of the things that all black people experience and that's what i want to be able to share with you today so that you can be enlightened because sometimes what people might deem is racism is really a matter of ignorance it isn't malicious there isn't malicious intent it's just when you become accustomed to certain things and you grow up around certain things, these things become prevalent and there's like second nature. So you don't know any different until you meet somebody that challenges the norm for you. And I would be that person. Awesome. Wow. So um, when we, when you called me uh, and we, and we talked on the phone, I, you said to me, I'm tired. Tell me about, why you're why you're tired and 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 what that what that feeling that emotion was when you were talking to me that that was the thing you wanted to tell me um absolutely kevin um you know i'm 63 years old and i've seen a lot of things in my life i grew up in a household where my father it breaks my heart it really does because i really want you to understand this my father was a hard-working man but he had a hard time coming up in the things he came up in. And I'm not making excuses for him. It changed, in my opinion, it influenced his behavior because he was getting his butt kicked in the street every day out there in Alabama in Hartford. And what he did was a lot of times was come home and take it out on his family. Sometimes people have the strength to overcome the circumstances that they're in but sometimes they don't. So all of us are individuals as people. The way I might deal with a situation, you might deal with it differently. The way some of my brothers and sisters deal with a situation might be different from that. So all of us 
no matter what it is that we face, have our own color or perception about how we go about dealing with things. So uh, when, I, when I reached out to you, Kevin, it was touching because I lived in a time where I never thought I'd see this. I'm telling you the honest truth. I never ever thought I'd see so many of my lighter skinned brothers and sisters marching for a cause that is, has something to predominantly do with someone who's you know, using the term black. Um, and so when I saw that, and I saw what you did, man, I was so moved because some of the things I've seen as of late in this country, it almost brings me to tears because I have children. I have a son. He has kids. I have a daughter. I don't want my kids to have to be subjected to some of the things that their grandfather went through and some of the things I went through. And I can tell you that the world's a little bit different for my son. Um, he has a lot of lighter skin friends. So, so when I say, when I use certain terms, Kevin, when I say lighter skin, I'm referring to white people. And, and I can still refer to myself as black, as a black person. But one of the things that you and I had talked about prior to this starting is some things are so very, very subtle. It's like, how can a white person possibly be scared of me? I live in a subculture. It's their culture. I'm a subculture of that. I don't have any means of wiping out, you know, all of the white race. Uh, I have no desire to do that either. But see, what conjures up all these fears, it starts with terminology. So for instance, if you refer to me as a black person, it doesn't seem like anything to start with. But if you just think about the definition of what it means to be black, just think about that. The word black, evil, nefarious, every, every negative thing known to mankind is attached to the word black, black cats. Does that bring about any warm, fuzzy feelings? No, that's a negative too. But then if you take it and flip it around and you look at the word white, well, then it has a different definition. It's light, illuminating. It's all of these positive affirmations. But the whole point of it is, None of us are truly black. None of us are truly white. The whole of it is, is what's being talked about today, is that we are merely people. We are part of the human race. That's what we are. That's what we all aspire to be. And as far as like, I mean, for racism, see here in Utah, it's a little bit different because the culture for black people here is really small. So as growing up, I grew up in an area where in Ogden, where it was predominantly, it was, you know, the west side of Ogden. Most of the black families that came from somewhere else moved there. Um, you know, we, were, we weren't affluent, we weren't middle class, we were poor. And there were a lot of kids in my family. I have seven brothers and sisters, actually eight. Um, and so back in those days, I mean, I might be called a nigger any day. But you know, I haven't been called that since the last time I was in Salt Lake City crossing the street near Pioneer Park, and I heard somebody yell that out the window. But see, here's the thing that matters. That only matters in this sense. What happened was there was a period of years where people, it became unpopular to voice those kinds of things. To call somebody a nigger became unpopular. Now, 
there's a difference between people understanding that something is unpopular and there's a difference between them understanding that there's something wrong about it. So if I know what's unpopular and I know it might bring scrutiny to me, I'm less likely to do it. It doesn't mean that my heart is in the right place. It just means I know to keep my mouth shut. So, um, and I think I, I felt like there was a lot of that going on in Utah and maybe across the country uh, during this time because you couldn't say things. You had to keep your mouth shut. If you opened your mouth up, everybody knew where you were coming from. But what we seek, what I seek, what I want to see, what you want to see is a true change in how we look at each other as one man to another. Because there's no difference between you and I. The only difference is something so slight is simply the tint in my skin. And the average person, the average person that's on this planet is neither white or black. We are different shades of brown. So all only, it's so, it's so ridiculous because the thing that makes me brown is a chemical called melanin. I have a gallon. They poured a whole gallon in my mix. In your mix, maybe just a few drops. It's still the same thing. Plus, you can't hold me responsible for being and looking the way I look. The only way you could is if this happened. So in my mother's womb, a flow chart popped up. Color chart popped up. Choose your color, the chart said, and I chose brown. Well, if that happened, then when I came out, you could go, you know what? I don't like you because you chose this and you could have chose that. Well, none of us got a flow chart. We came as we were, our color chart. We came as we are, and we're all just human beings, just trying to make it through the same struggle as the next guy. So the thing about racism is that when it's systematic, it affects the ability to find employment, the ability to, um, go, to, the loan, to go to the bank and get a loan. I mean, a lot of people don't understand this stuff. Um, it affects uh, the courts, the, the banks, uh, law enforcement, the way we get viewed. I mean, I was going down the freeway with a friend of mine, a lighter skinned friend of mine from work one day. I had a black Mercedes. Cop stops me and says, whose car is this? And I was like, <laughs> who do you see buying it? Who do you see driving it? You know, it's just, see, but what I see now, man, I, I tell you, Kevin, I never thought I would ever see this. What you did, man, that's stand up. To see my lighter skin, because I consider all of us to be brothers and sisters. Because we truly are. I mean, when you take a side, because all that other stuff is learned. I mean, it's taught. Nobody wakes up and just starts hating somebody else just based upon the tint of their skin. So tell me, uh, I, I'm really interested in, in that piece of it. You kind of mentioned some general things about how, about systemic racism. And um, how did you experience that in Utah? Do you have any, do you have any, like examples of, of things you experienced? You talked about loans and, and or, or anything else. How did you experience um, kind of some of those general things so just people can kind of get understand. Okay. Uh, so I think a lot of people uh, to hear this term systemic racism and they don't really know what it is. And I think maybe experiencing it through a person and an individual that, okay. that, that, that grew up in their neighborhood um, could help with that. Okay. So, so like one of the things that um, I went through a lot in my working career, 
I would hear this often because I've been in positions to where I've never really done any labor. And so all of my, most of the work I've ever done throughout my entire career has been through offices. And there are times when I had positions of supervisory, managing people, and people, some of the lighter skinned people would hear me speak and they'd go, man, you speak well for a black guy. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait a minute, what does that mean? I speak well for a black guy. So most black people that speak are uh, what I'm, I'm supposed to be ignorant. I'm filled with colloquialisms and uh, jargon and street talk. You know, I can, I can do all that too, but there's a time and a place for all of that. And it's not in a meeting with a bunch of people. So those are some of the things I went through. Um, and in what, regards underlies that, what underlies that is, um, is this this inter internalized racism that your friend with his or or who your coworker with this backhand right. compliment mm -hmm. um, doesn't realize is that society has made him believe that black people speak a less educated way um, or and so it, it is underlying his comment is racism mm -hmm. And, and underlying those backhanded comment, compliments is racism. And, um, you know, so that, that's definitely one that I think we hear a, a lot and, and one that I have to think about deeply for myself because I know, like, for myself, I, I am trying to look at the ways in which something in, in, in me, I may have um, um, an inherent bias um, yeah. and because of what society's taught me, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the feelings I internalize? I internalize if I'm if I walk down the street uh, and, and um, some I, I use your term the someone with darker skin comes towards me, towards me. Right. I, I hope I don't have that, but I need to think deeply uh, right. about those things and about my inherent biases. Um, and so I think that was a that that is definitely one um, that probably still is being said today on a, on a daily basis. You know, Kevin, I totally respect that, too. Um, see, because it's just like I mentioned um, a little bit earlier here. A lot of times it isn't that people are racist to the point of wanting to do harm to a black person. A lot of it comes from ignorance because I have a, a female lighter skinned friend who I met at, at the gym. This is some years ago. She and I became friends. And I would just listen to the thing, the things she would say. But this is what a lot of times people don't understand. I'm 63 years old. Being 63, if I had been working on cars for 63 years, you know what I'd be considered? An expert. I'm an expert for being able to discern whether or not somebody has racist tendencies and the overtones that come about from that because I've been hearing it all my life. And see, some people don't quite get that. How can you know that? I know how it acts. I know how it looks at you. I know the things that it says. I know because of my experience. So one day, me and her were having a conversation, and all I said to her was, I said, you might be racist, and you don't even know. She was very upset with me, very upset. She looked at me like she wanted to hit me. I wasn't saying anything necessarily negative about her. What I was trying to do is to open her eyes up to think about what she says, what she thinks, and what she feels. Because 
if you sit around the same people all the time that walk like you, look like you, think like you, it's all, it's all familiar. You can't really know until you introduce somebody else into the equation that has a different way, a different thought, and a different look. Then, upon your interactions with that, then you can determine how um, what you think, feel, and say is either in conducive to a nurturing relationship with that person or divisive. But a lot of times, because people don't really, they're not really aware of it. And if you're not around people of the opposite, then you don't really know. You have to, and sometimes, especially in Utah, it's difficult to maybe have a back black friend because there aren't a whole lot of black people here. There's a handful. But the thing is, is to be open enough to allow somebody like me to come into your life without people using this, what I call cognitive heuristics. This is where they don't think about meeting me as a person, getting to know me as a person. They think about maybe one interaction or the TV show where they saw a black man, and if that was negative, then they turn to frame all black men in the same light. Well, they don't want that done to them. I don't want that done to me. Get to know me, talk to me, know about me, my family, and you know what you'll see? You'll begin to see that if you let go of all those things that are of the past, you'll begin to see that I'm just like you. And there really is no difference. Yeah, black people can be a little bit loud and we can be a little bit colorful about things. I'll be honest about that. But that has some, some things uh, built around racism too because if you sit in a position and you're never listened to, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna keep raising your voice because you're talking and nobody's listening. You said it again and nobody's listening. You keep saying it and nobody's listening. For 400 years in this country, we've been saying it and nobody's listening. And again, today, man, I, I am extremely perplexed because it's like, maybe they're listening now. You know, maybe they see that we're just their brothers and all that color stuff, man, it doesn't matter. And, and I wanna go to something too that, because, there was a time when I was in the credit bureau in Ogden and there was a, a guy that looked like me, brown like me, and a guy that was a lighter skinned guy, looked like a white guy. They were talking in a language that I didn't know. And I said to them, where are you guys from? You're talking this language I've never heard. They were from Egypt. And this is something I've, I've been in this country 63 years and no lighter skinned man has ever said this, even some of my lighter skinned friends. The lighter skinned one says, man, your people are beautiful. You are beautiful. I was like, oh, so it is different on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the world, it's not quite like it is here. It's a little bit different. So what we need to do as people, man, is to try to let go of all these systemic things that are built upon um, a principle of managing people who were enslaved, trying to get work out of them, and move toward really being a civilized country to where you're civil to people who don't look like you. Because if I was, if my, me and my people that look like me were to be wiped off the face of the planet, 
See, hate is hate, and it's, hate doesn't go anywhere. Because what happens next is amongst the group of those remaining that are all lighter skinned now, there's some differences even between them. Some of you have red hair, some of you have blonde hair, some of you have dark hair, so all of a sudden does the, now that I'm gone from the face of the planet, does it switch to the, those that are, have red hair and you go, these people that have red hair, man, they gotta go. They just don't work. They look odd. So see, there's always something about somebody else that you can grab, use as a tool to separate yourself from, but try to find the reason why we might be together rather than look for the reasons why we're separate. Yeah. Well, you know, I hope um, that, um, that we as, as, as white people can get to a point where um, we can sit across and someone can say to us, you might be racist and you don't even know it. And instead of bristling, we can say, tell me more. Absolutely. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me, tell me, tell me how I can identify that in myself. Um, because you, you're probably right. Yeah. And I want to identify that in myself. And I, you know, it's that uh, for me uh, is it's a hard thing. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to feel the shame around that in ourselves. So most people will just like bristle at that and no, you know, fight against it. But I do think t tell me more should be the, the, the response to that. And that's where I hope we get. And, and hopefully this conversation and others like it that are happening now can, can bring that to light. Um, tell me, you know, uh, right now, what has sparked um, these protests um, around, really around the world that are happening right now? And uh, there's, a, it's a historic moment. There is, it there is, is a historic too. change happening right now. Um, is the interaction um, but, uh, with the police and communities of color? Um, what what uh, what are, what have your experiences been, and how how can you speak to that and the anger that uh, that people are feeling out there? Well, I I do notice that there is a difference in the way that black people get treated as opposed to white people in regards to dealing with uh, law enforcement. I've had situations where not even long ago, I have I had knee surgery some years ago. Um. I have a handicap sticker. I pulled up in my car, my wife got out of my car, went into the store and I stayed in the car. I didn't have the hand, I have three cars and so the handicap sticker was in the other two and I was driving the other one which didn't have the handicap sticker in it. Somebody walked by, didn't see the sticker and says, they frowned at me and go, that's for handicap and I, said, well, listen, I have a handicap sticker. Uh, I just left it in my other car, but I was not really happy with the fact that I didn't feel like I needed to explain myself. So I said, why don't you just mind your damn business and keep moving? Well, this was to this, this female, but this guy I see out the corner of my eye goes, hey, you can't say that to her. And he and I kind of got into a little heated exchange. But what he does is, he lifts up his shirt and I looked like a gun to me. So he showed it to me. So all of a sudden there's all this ruckus. All of a sudden the police show up and I talked to the police. I said, you know, I'm just sitting here minding my business. My wife went in the store. I didn't have my handicap sticker in this car, but I have it. The police weren't even alarmed at the fact that I didn't have the sticker. 
So I said that he showed me a gun. But see, watch this. This is the thing that shows you the difference. I says, he showed me a gun. Police kind of talk to him for a minute. And they come to me and they go, what do you want us to do? I looked at him like, wait a minute. I'm not your sergeant. What is your job? I just told you somebody just flashed a gun. What is your job to do? Then all of a sudden, see, then and only then do they decide to go and search the van to see if this guy had a gun. But this is the, this is another um, thing that, that shows the lack of concern for someone like me. He goes, they search the van, they come back and go, well, um, we didn't see anything. There was a flashlight. I said, you know what would have happened if I had pulled a gun in a white person told you I had a gun? You would have tore my car up. You would have probably dismantled it. And then if it was a flashlight, what you would have done, you would have grabbed the flashlight, showed it to him and said, is this what you saw, saw that he had? That's what you would have done. I didn't get the same courtesy, but I saw what was taking place. And I told him exactly. I said, if I had done this to a white person, this wouldn't be over with. You probably would have killed me in the parking lot. So it's sad that we have these kind of people on the police force, because what it means is it's a great amount of security for people who are considered white. For people who look like me, it's an insecurity. Because when they show up, I have no idea, even if I call them, what, what's going to take place. I have no idea if they're going to get my back, they're going to come in shooting because they see Brown. And so it makes life difficult because I want to be able to trust the things that are in place in regards to law enforcement, not just for myself, but my wife is Hispanic. My son, my, my kids are essentially black kids. And so I want them to be able to be safe and live in a community where they can count on law enforcement to uphold the law and do the right thing. See, because people say, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, why are you guys hating on law enforcement? Well, it isn't a hate for law enforcement. It's a hate for the things that law enforcement do. I don't know if you saw that thing with Floyd, George Floyd. I can't watch it. It's, it's heartbreaking. That man sat on him like he was sitting on a couch. All he needed was some popcorn and some drinks and, you know, he was just sitting there enjoying himself. And these things, but see, one of the things that I respect about you and my other light-skinned brothers and sisters is finally they're supporting what's right and not supporting what's wrong. Because in the past, a lot of my lighter-skinned brothers and sisters were supporting what's wrong and they didn't care what happened to us. I mean, we were something that just got acted upon by white society. And that's all we were. We were these things that got acted upon. Well, I'm not a thing. I'm a man made out of flesh and blood. I have feelings. I cry. I weep. I hope. I pray. See, because I tell you the honest truth, man, when it comes to spirituality, nobody wants to see God more than a black person. Just think about it. Why would a white person really want to see God? Well, you're running a society, you have all this going on, police don't do what you do to us. 
why would I want to see God? To take things in situations like the one with uh, George Floyd and correct it. That's all. But what I see come in place with people like you, other lighter skinned brothers and, and, and sisters that I have, that this thing might actually swing the other way to where, man, it's just people. And this stuff almost brought, it almost brought me to tears. One day, I just drove up to um, the Capitol. I just wanted to see. And there were all these lighter skinned brothers and sisters of mine carrying signs. See, truth of it is, all of our lives matter. Every single one of us. I understand why the focus is on black lives because it seems like that's the thing that doesn't get the respect that the other lives, at least the white lives do. But all of our lives matter. Every single one of us. We're all precious. And I have to share with you, man, something that my mother, uh, God bless her soul. I'm so grateful for that because in my family, my mother, my, my father too, uh, but every good thing in me came from my mother. My mother is such a strong person. She had all these kids. My father was, you know, he had his difficulties, but um, she raised us. Most of us are educated and very intelligent people. Most of my brothers and sisters are some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, and the thing of it is, I look at my family. My father never even finished the sixth grade, but yet this man has all these educated kids. Some of my kids are educated. So it makes a big difference because I grew up around some people who couldn't see themselves in a work environment with lighter skinned people. See, but this is what's important for brown people and me growing up. My parents taught me that I was never less than anyone, anyone, no matter what they got, no matter what color. And people see that in me. Matter of fact, I, in one of my, one of the places I worked, uh, there was a lighter skinned lady that said to me one day, she says, you know, a lot of people think you're stuck up, <laughs> but uh, she said, I says, why would you say that? She said, because you walk with your head up. I said, but see, you don't know where that came from. That came from my mother, not wanting her sons and daughters walking around as though they're less than. She always wanted us to carry ourselves in such a way to know I'm not better than anybody and nobody, no one is better than me. And that's why most of my brothers and sisters are educated, doing okay, because my mother instilled that belief in us. But see, I also grew up around people who may not have been blessed to accept or receive that idea. And therefore, they find it difficult to go out and work, get educated, go to school. So all of it, and I'm being honest about this, Kevin, all of it isn't just what white society does to us. It's what we do to ourselves. But part of that is geared in, in, in like for slavery. Now, as that sounds weird because slavery has been over for hundreds of years, but watch. You know what the recipes I cook? I cook the same recipes my mother taught me about. So what does that tell you? My, I cook the recipes my mother taught me. My mother cooked the recipes that her mother taught her. Her mother cooked the recipes that she taught about her. So watch. So slavery and the behaviors 
that people have just keep getting brought forward from generation to generation, the good and the bad. So here it is that it's 2020. Now just watch this. There are still, we are still walking around. We're the only group of people I know on this planet that there is a negative connotation that exists for us and it's the word nigger. And we walk around and go, hey nigger this, hey nigger this. There's one for Hispanic people. Hispanic people, the negative word is spick. My wife is Hispanic. I go around her family, I don't hear any of them referring to each other as spick. But see, that goes back to the assassination of your mental abilities and your ability to think about yourself um, as being worthwhile. Because some of my black brothers and sisters think that all of a sudden the word nigger has become a term of endearment. How could that be? How come no other race of people sees the word that's negative toward them to make it a word, a term of endearment? See, but it's because the psychology behind all of this is about assassination of your mental abilities, to think less of yourself than what you might be. So if you buy it, you buy it. Like for instance, food. Back in the days of slavery, the masters used to go out and kill the hog, right? And they take the bacon, the ham, the rest of it, they threw to black people. Therefore, when I was young, man, I ate stuff like pig feet. <laughs> nasty, <laughs> nasty. There's no meat on a pig's foot at all. Um, chitlins, pig intestines. So there's this garbage food that causes many African-Americans to have hypertension, high blood pressure. I have that. So when you eat these foods, it results in high blood pressure and issues of health. So there's still, but see today in my family, nobody eats that. My kids have never eaten that, but there's still some of us that still eat those things. Now I will say in the South, there are lighter skinned brothers and sisters that eat that stuff too. But like out here in Utah, see lighter skinned people in Utah, don't eat. <laughs> they don't eat stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But the whole point of it is, man, is that I am hopeful. I'm serious. People like you, people like some of my friends, I'm hopeful that this world may be a different world for my granddaughters than what it was for me, what it was for my father. I feel that we're on the cusp, on the precipice of this being an entirely different world where I can embrace you and you can embrace me and we embrace each other as brothers without any plots or plans to, you know, bring forth the demise of one another. No justice system. It's a fair justice system where all of us get treated fairly. Like there, there isn't a, you know, a law for, for one person and then the, uh, the law for the other people are, are different where you're going to get a whole bunch of time because those are things too that was taking place in this country. You know, people were, black black men were getting all this time for having a joint of weed, marijuana. In Texas, they give you 25 years for that. 25 years for that. And now, they selling the stuff in some of these states. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah, I heard, um, uh, I was listening to a, 
I'm listening to a book right now called Waking Up White. And um, there was uh, someone on there that said, you know, her parents taught her very early that, um, you know, white kids, when they do drugs, they go to college. And black kids, when they do drugs, they go to prison. And um, that's been the reality in this country uh, for, for a very long time. Yeah. You know, and you touched on that. I want to share one thing with you that I had mentioned about. Man, this is something my mother um, said to me one day, Kevin. She said, what's wrong in this world? Why don't these people know that we are all the same? And she said, see these? Those are flowers, right? Beautiful yellow roses. And I am a left-handed person. So I'm really abstract. So when you tell me things, I start putting together a picture. My mother said, don't these people know that God created all of us in his likeness? And she said, man, and it gives me goosebumps because I could see this. She said, it's just like a bouquet of flowers. And just imagine there's Kevin, there's Kevin right there. There's Michael and there's lighter skin Sarah and there's Hispanic uh, Rebecca. And so God is holding this bouquet and it's all of us. Ain't no lines between us. We're all just, we're the same thing, man. We're the same thing. So I'm hoping, I pray, my heart hopes that what is moving in this country now continues to move in this direction until true change comes. Now, the one thing I do understand about that, I don't just mean the superficial change where it'll help to see the laws change. It'll help to see the police departments do things. But I'm talking about in the hearts and the minds of men and women, where you look at me and all you see is just another man, just another guy. He's a little bit darker than me or a little bit lighter, whatever the case is, but he's just another guy. That's what you are to me. You're just another guy. You are my brother. Whether anybody else wants to accept it or not, it's the truth. So, because it's not a lie, it can't be, because I can go donate blood, they don't go, well, wait a minute, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. This, you know, this is that black blood, so you, you don't want that. You know, you, you or this is the white blood, you don't want that. We're all just the same, man. We're just trying to make it, Kevin. Yeah. That's all we're trying to do. And and hopefully in these days and times we can find some humanity, some love to share with each other. That's what my hope hope is, because I, I will be honest with you, when I saw that Flo, Floyd thing, man, see, I was so angry. See, and that's the other thing that I think you can kinda ask me about, because there's a couple of, I'll, I'll, I'll just share with you something I read, and, and it was this. There was a lighter-skinned lady that did a, a experiment. There was an audience of people, a lot of them lighter-skinned people, and she said, all of you are aware of the black people in our society. So what I want to see is this. I want anybody that would sit in the place of a black person or want to be treated like a black person to stand up. Nobody stood up. She says, wait, wait, did, did you guys not understand it? I want anybody to stand up who 
wants to be treated the way we treat brown people, black people in this society. Still, nobody stood up, but this is the powerful part of what she said. She says, you know what that means? That means you totally understand what's taking place. You understand what's taking place, and to some level, you're complicit in it because you keep your mouth shut. As long as it ain't you, it's okay, and let's keep rolling like that. See, but that whole lesson is, is that we can't keep going there, man, because and here's, here's one more experiment I want to share with you. I was watching this, this program where it was just a regular talk show. There were different people in the audience. There were some brown people, some white people, some Hispanic people. Well, the person who did this took these callers and put them on the white people. Now, they didn't know what was going on. And, and this is how simple this was. The show went on and they were talking. And every time the people with the callers went to ask something, they got ignored. Every time the people with the caller wanted something, they dismissed it. After one hour, just, now just follow this. One hour, those people that had on those callers that were being ignored, not paid attention to, they were so irate that they were ready to tear the whole studio up. That was one hour. How would you like to be black and do that for 63 years? It's just, you know what, man, it's heartbreaking, man. I swear, Kevin, it is, it's heartbreaking. You know, you have kids, you have kids, Kevin? I do, too. Yeah, and you know what, I wish them the best, I truly do. I wish you and your family the best. Because you know what, man, I would never want to happen to them what I see happen to some of the people that look like me simply because of the tint of their skin. It's absurd. But in, even in, in and of that self, that too is a mental illness to some degree. And it's something that gets taught and passed. It's just like on, on, on the other side of the fence. I talked about how in the black community, Things get passed down, negative connotations, things from slavery. Blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing on the other side of the fence. Grandma didn't didn't like black people. And she said a lot of things about black people. I don't know if they're true or not. You haven't discovered yet whether they are or not by interacting with somebody black. We take for granted what we've been told is true. But sometimes, even those people that we love and that love us, they don't always act in the best interest of a situation. They're simply, again, doing what they were taught to do. That's what a lot of us do. And so sometimes the racism that may take place is more on a level of ignorance than it is something that's malicious. Because I have a, I have white friends, and I mean, man, I tell you, man, am I, I think back to this place I worked I have so many white friends from that place, man. Those guys, I call them my brothers. I'm serious. Them guys, man, it, it touched my heart because we worked together and, and my daughter died. She died. And so she was just, you know, young. She, all these guys, man, were there for me, came to her funeral, tried to do things for me, man. I just, I was so tough. And these, these guys, we worked in the same place. We, I haven't worked with them guys for 20 years 
or more. And you know what? We're still friends. It has nothing to do. See, they even reached out to me recently by saying, and, and this is what I want to share with you too. They were saying, and I know it's difficult. They were saying they don't know what to say to me. I, but I, I want them to understand, what would you say if I was white and you watched someone white going through this? What would you say to them? It has nothing to do with color or race. It has to do with simply having empathy for other people. That's all it is. And being caring for other people. Because um, in my opinion, man, you are, as I told you over the phone, you're a stand-up guy. You um, dare to do what most people don't dare to do to stand up, be your own man, stand up for what's right. Not because it's popular, because sometimes popular ain't right. You know, sometimes doing a dirty deed is the more popular thing than, than being right about things. But you, you've made a decision to stand up for what's right, man, and I have the utmost respect for you, Kevin. Yeah, well, well thanks. I, I totally don't, do not want this, this to be about me, but, um, uh, I had a thought there when you were talking about, um, you know, uh, how your friends didn't know what to say to you. And um, I think uh, myself have, and other white people like me have been hesitant to engage in a conversation about race right. with a black friend because yeah. we're worried we're going to say the wrong thing and we're worried we're going to, we're going to, yeah. we're, we're, this is what we're worried. We're worried we're going to expose our racism. <laughs> and, and if I, if I think down deep, that's what, that's what I'm worried about. But, um, you know, I, when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching my coaches in the gym, I tell, I tell them all the time, I say, you know, you have to learn people's names and you have to call them by name. Right. And when, when you try to call when you when you commit to calling everyone by name, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to call someone by the wrong name. You're going, to, you're going to expose the fact that you don't, you didn't, you thought you knew their name and you didn't, and you're going to look dumb yeah. in that moment, but they're still going to respect you for it. And, and, you know, and so I have just challenged myself. I'm going to, I'm going to try to have conversations about race um, with my black friends and with with someone like you, um, because even if I'm going to say the wrong thing, I'm going to get called out, and I'm just I I, I hope I hope I I hope I do. I hope I learn something and I get exposed um, in 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 this conversation. And I hope other people will feel um, the feel feel like they can be vulnerable. Um, Absolutely, that's what's important, Kevin. And that's exactly it. That's the thing that matters. You care enough to want to know. I mean, how long, much longer can we walk around having bystander apathy? You're watching somebody get beat over the head with a hammer and you're so disconnected from any of that anymore. You just walk by like it's commonplace and find that acceptable. Well, when is it not going to become acceptable? So, I mean, I commend you because what you said is exactly true. You can't know unless you start interacting with people that look like me. Because if you keep, see, it's the same for me. If I always sit around my black friends and they have a certain mannerism about them and the way they think and the way they are, but I can't stand, understand from a white person's perspective what life is like unless 
I'm involved with that. Now, I have to say, um, I do have a half-white sister, and I was married to a white woman some years ago. So I have a little bit of understanding. And then, and then again, I've lived in this culture most of my life. But the way that you, and, and you said it beautifully, the way that you begin to learn, the way that you begin to understand is you have to put yourself out there and, as you mentioned, make yourself vulnerable to the process because then and only then can you learn. You can't learn by doing, you can't learn something different by doing the same thing. You got to do something different. You want to learn something different? You got to do something different. You got to take a risk and come to the understanding. You know what? All white dudes ain't bad. All black dudes ain't criminals. All white dudes aren't serial killers. You know, and so we begin to understand that it isn't, see, because one of the things that kind of thinking does is it simplifies life. So if I've met a white person and that's the white person I know, I meet other white people, I cut down my ability to have to get to know them by referencing back the white people that I knew before and I just take all that and I plug that onto them. But it doesn't always fit. So the thing to do is to understand that in both of our cultures, people are different. There are some good people in both cultures. There are some rotten people in both cultures. It's just the nature of us being human. And when we can get past that making that assumption about people based upon a TV show I saw. I saw a show while where, uh, you know, some black guy murdered, you know, three white guys. And then I think that that's applicable to the real world. See, that's where we get all screwed up. We start thinking that it's easier to just use cognitive heuristics, all the things that we know that we really don't know about that individual, but we know about that other black guy and plug them on every black person we see or every white person we see because you know one thing i know i know all white people ain't bad and you know how else i know because if they were i'd be picking cotton today and i <laughs> and i'm not available for that uh, unfortunately so um i can't do that but um but seriously um i i think that we're on a path to do something different this time yeah uh before we go uh leave me with two thoughts one um what would be the some one one thing you would want a a, a lighter skinned person to know about uh the experience just just one just one thing you could leave us with that we could learn from okay uh, and two what you're hopeful about in the future i want lighter skinned people to understand that it that this journey as being a black person in this country for 63 years has been difficult. Now, I am somebody who works really hard and I've gotten myself educated. So I've done okay for myself in spite of all those difficulties. What do you do, Mike? I, I didn't ask okay. you that question. You know, what I, you know what I do? I work for, I, I've been working in sales for a long time, man. I graduated from uh, Weber State in telecommunications administration, which you know is kind of an offshoot of computer science. Um, but also I got my MBA from, well, Stephen Henniger College. So, um, but what I do is I actually work for a organization that um, uh, credentials um, individuals in business valuation and financial forensics. So what we do is offer all of the training, all of the certification 
all of that. And it's usually for people that are CPAs. You don't have to be a CPA, but we work with a lot of CPAs, a lot of people, business brokers and stuff like that. So people who, you know, are looking to, to add a, another stream of income to their business, we help them get the training for that and get certified and credentialed in the whole nine yards. So, um, you were saying, I want to get you back on track. Cause I, I think right. it's important for us to know what you do, but, um, yeah. you were saying that, um, it's difficult. Yeah, it, it really, it really is a difficult thing. And it's, and it's heartbreaking because I have shared tears a lot of times and I've been really frustrated and angry, but, and I hope that I've even said things that I probably shouldn't have said all based upon me being angry. When I saw that policeman sitting on that man, I just, I was enraged and nobody did anything. They just sat there and let him sit there. So it's not easy being a black man in this country. It's not easy being a black person, female as well. So I want my brothers and sisters who are lighter skinned to understand that it's not easy. It's not easy as it might appear because even even though there might be people like, say, LeBron James, oh, he plays basketball, dribbles the basketball, got a whole bunch of money. You know what I know? The average white man still wouldn't trade places with him and get all his money. They just wouldn't do it because what comes with that is all of those things that we already know are inherent in um, black for black people in this society. And those are the things that the average person doesn't want. They don't want that, and I don't blame them. So money doesn't change that. It's, it's about being treated with some respect and dignity and fairness and opportunity and those kinds of things. And so um, that's one of the things that I feel is being upset and angry at the things that take place. And you know what I have to ask myself, really, Kevin? I would always say, I don't know why they hate us. What do we do? I mean, honestly. What do we do? We got my ancestors were brought over here against their will, made to work against their will, killed, murdered, raped, and everything else. Shouldn't I hate you? But see, I don't. I get up every day and I go to work in a community that is predominantly white without any fear in my heart. But my hope, my hope, Kevin, for me and you is that and all of the rest of us, to all of us on this planet, that we can somehow come together, treat each other truly like brothers and sisters, have love for each other and realize, man, that the tin of my skin, skin is no more than me open up a, a box of Crayola crayons. It, I mean, when you color with a Crayola crayon, you don't hate one picture that you color as opposed to the other picture. It's just a color. And that's really what it is. It, it, it's a non-point, but if we try to understand each other and get to a point to where, you know, we can all live peacefully together, for the most part, with the differences and the issues not being racism, but the issues being issues of the individual, which is something different than it being about a caste system or about color. So that's my hope, my friend. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm better now. Oh, there you are. <laughs> there's car I'm out in the front yard because of the light, but uh, <laughs> See, it's cars nearby, but I just want to <laughs> thank you for taking the time for to, to have this conversation with me 
and taking Absolutely. the time uh, to just make a phone call uh, to me the other day. Um, you know, I, I think you, you talked a little bit earlier about how it, uh, doing a difficult thing or an unpopular thing. Guess yes. what? What I did was popular. I got, so, I mean, I, I got so much validation and that, that just shows what we're, I, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a hard decision. It, it wasn't, although we knew it was a big decision because it was going to yeah. a lot of things. It wasn't yeah. a hard decision. We knew which side uh, we were on and we wanted to be clear and, 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 and quick about that decision. And I, I mean, this hasn't been hard for me. Not at all. I mean, oh, man. because I got so much validation from so many people. I've had almost zero pushback about what we did. And, and so um, I don't deserve, I don't really deserve any credit for that. Um, yes, you do. I'm sorry, man. You do. Because you know, as you get to know me, see, I'm somebody who's very vocal and I, I'm not shy. So, cause I'm like this, I'm the guy that goes to the restaurant, gets his food, but if I don't get served right and treated right, I'm going to let you know. But I'm fair and equitable. I'm fair and equitable. If I go to the restaurant and get treated right, man, the first thing I'll do is go to the to the manager and say, man, you know, you got the greatest servers here. They did this and did that. So it's the same thing with this, Kevin. Um, what you did is huge. Absolutely huge. Because, I, not to tout myself, but it caught my eye. And it compelled me to want to say something with you, to you. So therefore, to move me, to move me, because I'm not easily moved by small things, but you moved me, and I consider myself to be, I don't know, something to be moved. And so therefore, when I saw that, I was like, man, this guy here, he's something else. Yeah. He deserves some, some mad respect for this because he stood up, he didn't take it, he didn't lay down. See, because... The, the most, and this is going to sound a little bit strange, the most dangerous thing is a truth teller and, some, and somebody who stands for the truth. Man, look, you can lie all day long and people will let you lie and they won't do anything to you. Just go back in history and just look at the people that dared to tell the truth and look at what happened to them. Martin Luther King, he got shot. Uh, Malcolm X, he got shot. Gandhi, he got shot. Kennedy, he got shot. When you start talking about telling the truth, you are basically putting a bullseye on your head. Well, I won't bring up somebody else's name for God's sake, <laughs> but uh, they don't tell the truth very often. Nobody's done nothing to them. So, <laughs> so again, there it is to where you start telling the truth, man. It's, it's so funny too, because the interesting thing about life, how nobody, well, not, I won't say nobody, but it's rare the people that want to hear it because the truth it commits you to something the truth about you commits you to something most people don't want to accept the fact that they are committed to something especially if it's something negative they would rather fight the truth truth off than embrace it and then start looking for a way to make it something different if it's not right other people would just rather stick their head in the sand ignore it. pink elephant in the room sitting right there in the chair right there they want to go in, oh i don't see that he's sitting right there i don't know how you can't see it so what you did man i i'm gonna tell you again it was huge kevin i mean you know you know so i get it i get i get what you did and i understand why you did it but man that's a stand-up thing what you did thank you again I, again i, I don't stand up. 
this this conversation is way way bigger than than me or 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 and or, yeah or me too community fitness and so i just really appreciate you um just just sitting down to have this conversation and absolutely uh, uh and it was good to get to know you and you too uh, we'll stay connected all right man we will we're facebook friends so we'll be i'll be chat, reaching out chatting to you every now and then I love it. I love it. Let's stay connected. Thanks, Mike. Really Brother, stay, stay, stay good. Stay healthy. Watch that coronavirus thing and all that. <laughs> yeah, indeed. You do stay safe out there, too. I will, Kevin. Talk okay. to you later, man. Yeah, have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.